Yes, we are. We are live. All right. Here we go, man. This is for Clementine and Otis. Hey, um, thanks for listening. I'm super grateful for your interest in the podcast. I'll keep working hard and producing weekly episodes. Uh, hopefully you find some inspiration along the way or at least like just be entertained. Uh, so subscribe on your preferred listening platform if you haven't done so already. And, and don't forget to check out the THT YouTube channel and also support the sponsors of this show because they support me and um, I'll only ever be affiliated with like the raddest companies. So Anyway, here we go. So if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, it's time to get a fresh pair of Indosols because it's coming into summer. Indosol have distributors worldwide and you'll automatically be directed to the distributor in your region when you go to Indosol.com. That's I-N-D-O-S-O-L-E.com. And even better, uh, when you use the THT code, you'll get a 15% discount. So get on it and help in the reduction of motor vehicle tire waste now i say this all the time i love skateboarding and i love skate culture kingpin skate shop are feeding this culture it's run by passionate skateboarders who have a deep history in australian skateboarding anyway it's also a one-stop shop for all your skateboarding needs best shoe range and clothing range ever and they even stock some surf gear during lockdown they've had their click and collect game down pat um, or you can get your stuff delivered uh, and there's free delivery for orders over 25 bucks. So go to kingpinstore.com, that's K-I-N-G-P-I-N-S-T-O-R-E.com and use code THT for that 15% discount. Now lastly, I'm a huge believer in supplementing with natural supplements and that's why I'm a, an advocate for the use of CBD products and I'm super stoked to be affiliated with Crush Organics They make the best full-spectrum CBD oils and topicals. They've got the CBD pain cream, which I've been loving after a skate. They have the sleep oil, uh, the everyday oil, and the recovery oil, which I find amazing after a heavy workout or surf. So go to crushorganics.com, that's K-R-U-S-H-O-R-G-A-N-I-C-S.com, and use code THT for that epic 40% discount that I know people have been taking advantage of. And uh, if you have any questions about terrible happy talks, terrible happy talks. Today's guest is Kai Paul. Kai is a close friend, longtime Bali expat, entrepreneur, environmental sustainability advocate, activist, and co-founder of footwear brand IndoSol. For those that listen to the show regularly, you'll know that Kai is a past guest, and today he's with me live from his home in Changu, Bali, to check in, give us the lowdown on Bali during the pandemic, and much, much more. And as always, I will add, he's here to share his experiences, challenges, and hopes for the future. Mr. Kai Paul, welcome. Thank, thank you, Shannon. <laughs> nice, nice to be back on here with you. Love it. Thanks, man. It's so good to see your beautiful, bald head. 
I should have covered it up with a beanie like yourself. <laughs> I know. <it's, laughs> I'm bored, man. I've always got headgear on. I know. It's too hot over here. Mm. So, man, let's. I want to get stuck into it. Obviously, we're in a pandemic. You live in a, you live in a destination that many people love to go to for holidays. Okay, especially Australians, but I know it's very popular with Americans and Europeans. So, can you give us a bit of a snapshot of what Bali's like now compared to like pre-pandemic days? What are the biggest differences you notice? Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's probably 20% of the expats that were here at, at that point, or maybe even lower, maybe like 15% realistically. Um, the the traffic, there's no traffic. Um, the waves are still oddly crowded at, at times, you know, there's still people surfing, um, partially due to, there's just so many good Indonesian surfers now, which is great. And it's amazing. And there's a lot of people that, um, that live here. And one of the pure reasons they're here is to surf, right? So surf is, surf isn't that different, honestly. Um, there are days when you're like, Oh, wow. You know, and it, it is noticeably less, but not as much as you would think, not as much as per se, the roads are less crowded. Um, they're, you know, going out at night, um, there's less people. Um, but it's also, we're, we're coming out of, we're slowly coming out of lockdown PPKM, um, which is basically the, the lockdown situation that's happened here repeatedly over the last, you know, however long it's been now, year and a half. Um, but recently the latest one started at the end of July, so it's been uh, or end of June, sorry. So it's been all of July, all of August, and now into September. And we're starting to open up a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's really noticeable the the amount of the expatriate community that is left, as well as the amount of um, other island workers that have left um, Bali and gone back to say Java or Flores or Kalimantan or Sulawesi or Sumatra. Um, because there's just less jobs here. Um, there's just been so many closures of places. Um, and some are starting to reopen up. You know, one of the big ones here is Potato Head. They're starting to reopen um, just this last week. Um, so that's so that's positive. There's, there's now um, inter-island travel that's allowed again, but with the vaccine um, and the antigen tests. So a lot more Javanese tourists are coming here, particularly from Jakarta. So you're seeing sort of the clientele um, of Bali establishments sort of shift into a more local, more local crew, which is actually really lovely. And um, it's actually, you know, creating more um, collaboration between um, expat communities and local communities. And, and that's something that's really positive that's come out of this situation. Um, obviously the downside is the financial situation, um, and all the money that the tourism industry brings to Bali. Um, and that's been, you know, the, the notice the big noticeable difference is just the, the, I guess the cash circulation that has depleted, uh, quite significantly here in Bali. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that, uh, locals are collaborating more with expats, but how else, has it impacted the locals um, negatively? Are you really seeing? Are you seeing desperation amongst? Yeah, you know? definitely. Like I've 
Um, you know, there's desperation in food for, for one, you know, people needing food, uh, reaching out for help. Um, we've been working with an organization called Punk Pangan, which is in Denpasar, and they're feeding people in Denpasar. And they have a really cool system where people can sign up um, if they know somebody you're hungry, because some people are too shy to sign up themselves. So you can fill out this survey and you can say, um, I'm hungry. This is where I live. This is the reason I'm hungry. Um, we're a family or this, I'm an individual. I'm, I'm this old. I'm of this gender. So they're also gathering data of people. And now they serve about 180 people a week. And that lasts for about three days. They give each, each person about three days worth of food. So it's not a, it's not an end all be all, but it is an assistance. Um, visited uh, an orphanage with a friend the other day and it's really just it's it's just there's no other way to put it but sad to see you know they're 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 running up against their operating costs that they would usually get from tourists coming in and donating or tur- or even tourists sending them money that are in their home country and maybe not making as much money as they used to um so it, it's full circle when you look at like an operation like an orphanage for example they're considering having to maybe take less orphans um, to support because they have bills like, you know, internet, electricity, you know, healthcare, school uniforms, sports, you know, all these things, food, obviously, that continue to add up these operating costs, right, that are being depleted because, you know, of the situation right now. It's just sort of an economic hardship worldwide that then gets translated into the people here in Bali. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad, you know, like there is, there is some people in despair here for sure. And that's been the the hardest part to realize. And the hardest part to me, that's negative, been negatively affected, you know, I'm a lot, you know, obviously the potentially the full expat community can get by and there's definitely been hardships, but when it comes down to like, being able to feed yourself and your family, you can really see that in some of these Indonesian communities and families and oftentimes potentially outer island uh, communities that have moved to Bali. And so maybe they don't have the village structure or the family structure that maybe Balinese do. And, um, and, you know, this is to be, to be honest, as a, as a a foreigner expat myself, I'm just giving you what I'm seeing. This isn't a hundred, you know, I'm not saying that this is, a hundred percent, but this is what I'm seeing here. And, and I have been trying to, to notice it and take, take into account what's going on here and, and try to understand it because our store corporate attire is giving 10% of all of our proceeds to uh, people in need. So we just want to make sure we're educated on who we give to and what the right situation, you know, what the right, we want to help. How do we help? So I've been trying to understand it um, at least somewhat, you know, so yeah, there, there, there's definitely taken a toll. Um, I think you know one of the things is that, is that worldwide everybody is sort of in this together in some way. You know that there's been tolls, there's been tolls taken everywhere. So yeah, no, thanks for the insight. Um, I just want to go back to the local people one more time. You said that some Indonesians who've moved to Bali have returned to their various islands or mainland Indonesia. Yeah. How have the local Balinese people adapted otherwise? Like, what are they doing on a day-to-day basis? So let's say they were a business owner and they obviously can't have that business anymore because there's no tourists. 
Yeah. I mean, what are they doing? Are they going back to their village and just uh, growing rice and eating eating that, or yeah, just I mean, starving? Yeah, there is some of that, right? There is there is some of the, you know, um, going back and farming, and that's a that's a beautiful sort of, um, sort of I guess scenario, right? You go back to the land, you go back to nature, um, but there's also you know the pure like let's sell the rice field instead of harvest it. Right. So there is, there's land deals and stuff going on. There is the, the other side uh, of things going on too, which is, which is totally acceptable. I mean, people need, you know, they have land available, you know, so there's not a, there's not a ton of buyers, but there are people with money here that are willing to, to make land deals and, and develop land further. And um, that's just the reality of economics 101, right. Um, coming in with when, when there's a large supply and, and the demand isn't high and you come in and you get the right price. So there is that as well. Um, there's people, there's people taking less money for, for the same job. There's people trying to offer, you know, Hey, I'll come in and, uh, do construction for this amount of money. You know, so that there are like, um, there's people asking for help, you know, people saying, Hey, I, I need money. Like, need to feed my family and there are people sending like i've had a couple instances where um people that used to come to bali said hey can i paypal you money for a driver that really helped us out there he reached out um for you know needed help feeding his family i said yeah for sure paypal me and then and then i, I go and meet the driver and trans- and you know give him or or him or her money right so those are those are nice situations um so yeah, there is sort of a, sort of a, a a full full plethora of of what's going on, you know, people uh, just trying to figure out what that next step is. And I think I think that's a common situation in in you know almost from from poor people to people that are having subsistence or maybe fully not happy in the job that they're doing right now because they're having to do it. Um, so a lot of people are trying to figure out what this what this next step is. Um, you know, and when, and when the economy in wherever they're, they're living is going to come back to life, you know, um, for Indosol, you know, we've seen the retail, uh, environment change so much that it's, it's wild, you know, and, and, um, so we're, we're also adapting and, and striving and moving forward and trying to figure out what's next. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity and potential out there, but there's also a lot of things that have changed really rapidly. And it's, it's sort of, alarming or, or, uh, or sort of shocking in a way. Um, and it's, it's interesting. It's definitely a new day. It's definitely a new day. Is there a growing optimism amongst people that live there though, that it's going to come to an end soon? Yeah. I mean, I, I think like this, this last lockdown was sort of like really hit hard because there, you know, actually during the first half of this year, there was like, Bali was actually kind of moving and shaking a little bit, you know, there was, they're letting people in through business visas and social visas. And, um, there was a good, uh, there was a, a, a nice amount of people here, you know, there was less traffic, but the economy was sort of moving and shaking. There were places open, there was business happening. There was the cash flow changing hands and there was jobs available. People were sort of preparing for, um, Bali to come at a full circle sort of at the end of this year, but then lockdown happened again at the end of June. And there was, there was a max mass exodus of tourists and, and tourists weren't allowed to come back in 
to Bali. So there hasn't been anybody from the outside allowed back into Bali now for three months. So, um, it, it was, it was a little bit dark really in the, in, in July and potentially part of August and, and as well as COVID was, was spiking here, you know, Indonesia was kind of this hot spot of, of COVID. Um, and, and now we, we feel like we've been through sort of the, the darkest point and we've all sort of been like, wow, like, wow, that was rough. That, so the worst thing happened, right? The worst thing happened. Right. Basically we got yeah. ravaged by COVID again. Um, the, the airport, the airport closed. We went back into lockdown and everything w- was shut at like 8 PM. Um, you, no, no restaurants were allowed to open, no inner Island travel. So everyone was stuck at home again. Um, and now we've endured, now we've like gone back the, they've, they've shut down or they've knocked down the level of lockdown, uh, back to level four, I believe it's going to level three. So restaurants can be open till nine again. They can be, they can operate at a 75% capacity. Um, or actually I think it's 50%. It's going to go to 75%. There's inner Island travel. Um, you know, so we feel like we've endured some of the, some of the darker times. And now, now, now we do feel like we've bottomed out and there's light at the end of the tunnel because it's only going to go up. You know, we, we do see Bali opening again soon. Um, we, we feel that if we've made it this far, we've got, we can persevere we've been become resourceful um we figured we've identified the people that uh, you know on 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 the mainly that that really need our help so people have gathered around them and we've tried to help them um and you know and, and that's going to continue i think people are going to need help for the next foreseeable future you know n- next year until all the jobs come back and um mm. but you know so i think there's an identification of the problem mm. Um, and trying to come to terms with the issue. And now it's like, now it's more solution based. And so, well, it's not, you know, all, uh, sun and rainbows. Actually, it's really, it's raining a lot here right now. So it's, it's interesting as well, but, um, mm. but it's, it's starting to, you know, yeah, people are starting to, you know, sort of accept the hand that's, that's been dealt and, and, you know, what do we do and how do we get going? And there are places opening up, you know, next to Indosol, there's a new restaurant called Smoke. Um, and that's my my friend Luca just opened up, has done a great job with it. Revolver has opened up. Um, they've, they've got a new bar area. Um, that's cool. Um, there's, um, a couple new places that have opened up in Paranon. Paranon seems to be, um, you know, kicking up, um, with activity. Um, there's a new Lebanese place there. Um, so there's a new pizza joint, new, a pizza slice, um, place opening called pizza dealer that will, they'll be opening soon um so so you think people are hedging their bets on. people are hedging the lawn, their bets the lawn is coming back soon um well they're rebuilding the whole lawn aren't they there's a new baked going to be opening up soon in Paranon. um so yeah there's there's things happening still and pushing forward so so they, these these business owners are effectively hedging their bets that bali's going to come back yeah cuz it always does it, it, I was going to say, why, what, oh, excuse me, go. It always does. I mean, you look at 2008, I was here in 2008. It's a scenario similar to this, um, where the financial crisis, crisis happened and people were just exiting Bali. They were giving, they were selling their villas for so cheap because they were over leveraged in other areas. 
And that hasn't happened as much this time. People aren't selling their villas for as cheap, but there are good deals out there. Um, and then, um, but it's also happened in the, the Bali bombing, right? There's 2002, there was 2005, um, that people, you know, Bali was bombed, right? The Sari club was a huge, huge deal in 2002. So, um, and then there was the follow-up bombs, I think in 2004, 2005, um, uh, in Jimbaran. Um, and so there was exodus there and, and then, and slowly the tourists started coming back 2008, same thing, slowly tourists came back. Um, and so now you can see that sort of same thing happening. And, and I think it's going to come back even more so now because you, with the advent of COVID, the whole working situation has changed that you, people can work from Bali in, you know, on their computer and what a great place to be based out of. So, um, you know, I think Bali will forever be a positive, uh, or a play, a, a positive destination that people want to come to. And that was my question. Like, you know, why are people so attracted to Bali? Like they, p- people love Bali. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a mixture of things. You got number one, it started the way it started. You got really good waves everywhere. You got beautiful oceans. Um, the accessibility of outer islands. There's so much in Indonesia. Indonesia has so much to offer beyond Bali. And I think people are starting to figure it out more and the access between boats, planes, trains, even, um, make it accessible. Um, you've got the, uh, obviously the people, the people in the Hindu culture make, uh, make, you know, the, the spirituality and you, it just resonates in the place and the nature in the people. Um, there's just, there's just a, an abundance here of, of positive vibes and energy and that resonates in the food as well. The food is so good. And then you have the expat community that's been here since the, you know, early to mid seventies, you have the Italians, French, Australians that have, that have set up really amazing businesses here. So you have really good, the food culture here is, is next level. Like there's amazing food here from the local food to that, you know, to the cuisines of, of other countries and, and the chefs that are here are top notch and the coffee. I mean, the coffee is so good here, the tea, um, the fruits, you know, the veggies, um, there's just so much, there's an abundance of, of, of goodness here. Um, and then there is and, local community, there is art, there is culture. There's, there's also like the sustainable, it's a, kind of turned into a, a little hub of sustainability here of people like really pushing forward. Um, you know, I mean, I, we've been here since 2009 in that time, we've seen just sort of the sustainability movement and the community really grow here. Now we've got potato head, we've got Sungai watch, um, and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm, I'm missing out other people, but, um, you know, we've got these, these communities here that are making, you know, uh, now we've got space available making these plastics and you've got, you know, uh, wood makers like, um, like Avalon and, and his crew, um, that are really looking into sustainable woods and, and how to do that mm. and, uh, and produce better furniture, better. And, um, and, I just think there's a community here that is really ready to, to move in to the future um, and do things the right way and better way and, and a more responsible way. And I think that's something that people really identify with here and moving here and, and producing in a way that's, uh, that's better. So amazing. Like you've lived in Bali for what? Well over yeah, what, 12 about years, nine years, nine years this time. Nine, um, nine total years, in my okay. life I've lived in Indonesia 23 years. Amazing. But I still sense a real um, 
you know, love and, and optimism and, and positivity about the place. Like yeah, why is why is there still magic in Bali for you personally? Is it just yeah, because it's hard? The, the people and the community, you know, just like okay. just being, yeah, um, in the food, um, you know. You don't miss I, born, home? I, I do. I miss my parents, but um, there's just so much activity and forward thinking here, you know, and openness. And like, um, yeah, I feel like a lot of people that live here are on the same page about, you know, wanting peace and wanting to do things the right way, uh, accepting that yoga is a, is a potentially healthy way to to live accepting that vegetarianism is a good way to live um you know there's just like these sort of maybe advanced ways of thinking that are sort of common here you know sustainability is is sort of a part of of the culture here not um you know in the in certain communities and 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 willing you know trihata karna is like the the way that um you know people interact with land animals god um is is a a circular way of life um i think is a part of everyday life and not something that's maybe forward or um you know a, a way of thinking that's radical i think a way you know there's a way of of living and thinking here that is that is harmonious and and if you're not living harmonious you're wanting to live harmonious um or in a way that's that's you know better for people planet um and and um and nature and and trying to live you know for each other a little bit more you know i think the sense of community here is really important yeah i agree and i feel like it's all because it's underpinned by hinduism yeah i i think that's a huge part of it i think it's it's uh it's it can't be ignored you know um just the the setting the setting of this island is that you know right you come to this island it's a hindu island so um there Mm -hmm. are ceremonies and um and ways of life that people live every single day and to and myself not being a hindu um for them to accept me into a ceremony is 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 amazing right so i went to a hindu wedding the other day and you know dressed um respectfully in my ceremonial um attire and you know and and me not being hindu they accepted me with open arms and you know, um, and it's just beautiful, you know, and, um, it's such a, it's such an honor, right. To be accepted into this way of life and to learn from it without being Hindu. Right. And not, and not trying to fake the the fact that I am Hindu or, or not, you know, it's just, I am who I am and they are who they are. And there's a real harmonious existence between the two. Amazing. Like just being an expat in general, is there times that you feel discriminated against? Yeah, I mean, I think that 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 I would I would hate to say the word discrimination. I think the word is like um, maybe um, it, it's. I don't think I don't. What's a less version, less harsh version of discrimination? Because I don't think it's like um, intentionally um, like some sort of discrimination. I think it's more of a you know maybe excluded. Maybe, yeah, exclusion, excluded, but also there's a sense that they, they probably feel the same way, right? There's, I think the expats community has come over here and, and there is a little bit of maybe some taken advantage of, and, um, uh, maybe, you know, uh, inequality in terms of pay. Um, and so I, I kind of accept it because I think it's, 
um, I should be sort of looked at as maybe, you know, like, what are you trying to do until they really know me and, and understand my story and understand what I'm trying to do. I think there should be a little bit of wariness, you know, for that. And I think that there has been cases in the past. I think it, you know, while I talk about um, living harmonious together, I think there's been a lot of, you know, cases in the past that will will tell a totally different story than that, you know. And and I think, you know, while I do, I'm not acknowledging those cases currently, um, I think you absolutely, in total, have to acknowledge that there's been a lot of. Um, yeah, unfair treatment of, of local people by the expat community over the years. Um, you know, starting with where, starting with, you know, if you want to go back into history, like really the, the Dutch and, and, you know, colonial times of Indonesia for 300 years, Bali, you know, stands out as a really interesting, uh, specific history with that, where they were never conquered by the Dutch. They, they coincided with the Dutch here for many years, and there were Dutch royalty, and the Dutch tried to conquer Bali, but they were never able to actually conquer Bali. And it's one of the only um, islands in Indonesia, archipelago, that, that was never conquered by the Dutch. So, so. It's, it's, it's actually really interesting, and there's some really interesting stories of, of this um, over over the history of, of Bali and and how they stood up to the Dutch and and then later incorporated the Dutch into into their um, mm. into their into their island. I just think like the locals are just so lovable that you just you just you wouldn't want to overtake them because they're just so damn nice, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's it's you know it's what capitalism was founded off of, right? There's there's resources and and you know, the such that are, you know, you, you've got maybe a, a, a Dutch colonel or something, or however you, you know, captain or, or whatever that's on a trip on a, on a ship coming to towards Bali. And that is basically being told by their superior, uh, what they needed to do without sort of any, any sort of feeling or knowing about who the locals are. Right. It's just sort of a, a black and white command. Right. And that's sort of what colonialism was back in the day. Right. It was it was a takeover. Right. For resources that could then be sold back in Europe. Nutmeg um, was one of the biggest ones. But there's cinnamon, clove, um, some of these Hmm. pepper. See, um, I find. Yeah. I find Balinese interesting. I don't know if I'd describe them as capitalist. Um, I know there are very entrepreneurial Balinese, um, but I don't see the same level of desire to continue to build a financial empire. That would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I would. I would. I would agree in total. I think there's some um, there. Some of that is is adapting to the new world, though. I think. I think that is slowly changing a, a little bit more. You see some of the children of the um, some of the the elders who are gifted land, for example, and will sell the land for profit. And, you know, um, you know, so it's, I think the, the iPhone and I think modernization is happening quick, you know, and I think it's happening quicker than maybe we would like it to in places like Bali. Um, but Mm. I think forever, and I think forever there will always be Hinduism to fall back on. And I think that is, a really amazing part of Bali. And I think the core of Bali will never, 
change. I, at least I'm, I'm very hopeful that it won't. No. So you have the Indosol headquarters in Changu. It's, um, you know, it's the flagship store. Indosol's also got headquarters in San Francisco as well. Is yeah, that correct? San Francisco, yeah. And you said that where the Indosol shop is in Changu, for those of you that haven't been there, you call what do you call the French Quarter? No, not the Echo, French Echo Quarter. Echo Quarter. Excuse me, Echo, Echo yeah, Quarter. Yeah, because we're close what? to Echo Beach. And it's an epic little little hub there, and it's got some shops. So you said there's you you could open up another shop called Corporate Attire. Yeah, Corporate Attire. It's a joke. Um, you know, it's definitely not corporate attire. It's all like, you know, Bali based brand, Bali and Indonesia based brands. So all produced locally. So it was just born out of the, out of the the pandemic. Basically, we had an extra space, and we as Indosol were feeling the pinch because a lot of the stores around Bali were closing. So we didn't have as many outlets to sell our products, right? We had our own shop, but, um, and so we just knew that other brands and other makers probably didn't have the avenue to sell their products as well. So we opened up this shop next door. We called it corporate attire. It's our friend Ricky's Instagram handle. Um, so it was an ode to him because he was the first employee, the first manager of dream good, which had to shut down during COVID. Um, they're Australian and, so it was a homage to him. Um, and Chris did a great job of picking out the two T's in corporate and making, and pulling out the pie sign. So that's sort of the signal. And, and we did 16 straight launches of, of brands. So every week we would launch a new brand and we partnered with room for dessert and we, and different local chefs and we would create an event every year and it was, or I mean, every, every week, there was just a way to get activity going and get the economics of things flowing and get these brands exposed on instagram and we started on instagram and people would share and we would have photos and we people would share so it's just like trying to stir up and keep like makers and and people making things in the community alive in indonesia bali i mean in java bali um, and indonesia in total and so it's just a way to like just keeping it spiked and you know, and, and then when the second lockdown happened, we had to close again. And then we, we started our events again. And then the second, and then the third lockdown happened. So we're still, um, we still haven't done our relaunch of our, our, our third time, but we hope to do that in the next month. Um, wow. but the store, the store is open, um, and it's right next to Indosol. Um, and it's got a lot of cool stuff in there. It's a com- concept shop. It's one of Bali's few concept shops. And it's just got a lot of cool local brands that are that are really cool that a lot not a lot of people potentially know about. I think we're one of the more famous ones that's come out of it is Bing and Diaries, the the uh, the um, bucket hat brand, and, and you know see a lot more people wearing those now. So we're we're proud. We're proud to like sort of help other brands sort of pop up and um, you know Indosol. We're since 2009 here in Bali, so it's cool to like you know sort of help other people sort of expose them and um and then you know in, in turn they they also ask us sometimes about how they can produce more sustainably and stuff so it's cool you got this sort of community that wants to do things better and sort of for us it's cool to like help people do that yeah man you've got that sort of street cred now you've been there for you know doing business in bali for so long and it's so interesting to hear how you've had to pivot and pivot again and just adapt to the circumstances you're placed in. And would you say that like one of the benefits as a business owner of the pandemic would be that it has maybe forced more creative approaches to business? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you, you look at what's going on and you go, Hey, how do we still make an income? Right. And, um, so that's one, you know, and secondly, you, you go, well, how long is this going to last for? And, um, sometimes it just change indoors, you know, and it just becomes normal. So, um, you know, what is the new retail environment? What is the new, um, way to sell things and what is the new advertising method to sell things? And so that's still, you know, I think in development and, and cross development, but, um, I think, you know, we as a team, as, as a global team have being able to, been able to pivot, um, in a way, you know, moving a lot of resources online, um, it has been one of them. Um, you know, we're our percentage online to, to physical retail is, is much higher now. Um, but you know, we're fortunate that we exist in Europe and our Europe team has done a, an amazing, a fabulous job, um, this last spring and summer of really getting us some great shops, particularly in Holland, um, and some exposure there. Um, you know, just in the last month we were featured in Vogue Japan, um, we're, uh, featured in Esquire and, um, uh, what's the other one? One, one other big one. Oh, Harper's Bazaar. And then now we're oh, getting, a, we're getting a print feature in L magazine. So it's like, and this is a lot of this is due to, um, our Europe team re- really, you know, pushing and, um, as well as our Japan team continuing to push. Um, and our, our Australia team has opened up a new, uh, retail location in Byron Bay during this whole time. So, we really see the combination of uh, really, really well put together retail environments. And our, so our shop in Bali has continued to, to persevere and, and do, you know, do, do, do okay, you know, less than our pre-COVID numbers in Bali, but still maintain and pay our staff and push forward. And we see that the team in Australia has done a really amazing job and they've had success with their um, store in Byron because people walk in, and they can see what Indosol is. They can see what the brand is. They can experience mm-hmm. what our story is, what our product is in full. And then, and the Europe team has done a really great job of finding these select stores and putting in sort of a shop-in shop. Um, so, which is like Indosol branded um, walls and windows, and putting tires in there, and painted tires, and putting our product around. So people can understand what Indosol is further because in entirety, we're still a brand that is new to 95% of the people in the world. 99% of the people in the world don't know what Indosol is, right? So mm. it's a really exciting opportunity. And, and to, to think about that as an opportunity rather than a detriment is sort of the way that we're, we're choosing to think about it. Um, as well as the, our team in, in the U.S., you know, they've, they've done – an amazing job of persevering um, and adapting to the situation because um, they were really coming into a positive, they had a, a positive months and then they in the U S also got hit by COVID recently. So they've had to adapt. And so our, our team worldwide is, I just give them so much credit for being able to stay positive, adapt to the situations um, and move forward and, and find different ways, different ways and avenues of, of exposing Indosol to, to the, to new communities. 
I think it's just such a beautiful concept in Dosol and, and what you're doing. I think it's so appealing. And where I live in Wollongong, I live in Wollongong, Australia, which is about an hour south of Sydney, coastal region, and there's an amazing surf shop uh, in an area called The Rule. It's called um, Finbox Surf Shop. And I remember a couple of years ago I went in there and they, they stocked Indosols and they had maybe like three pairs. It's a very boutique sort of shop. Okay. Then I went in there just a couple of months ago um, to pick up a couple of pairs for a promo that you guys were supporting me with, and they now have a whole wall of Indosols, like literally, Amazing. like it's. And um, and I spoke to the owner, and he said, "Yeah, man, like we just we can't sell, like we can't stock enough of them because they just keep selling." And we went from having a few pairs to having like this whole. It was like a full display wall of just Indosols, and um, and I was just like, "Wow!" I just had this realization. I was like, "Wow, man!" Like this is really like people are starting to really grasp the concept of repurposing and, and, and consciously purchasing their, you know, their, their, their fashion and their clothes. Um, and it's so satisfying when you wear something like that. And it's like literally every, and I'm not, I don't want to sound like an ad for Indosol, but I kind of am, but like every time I put them on, like someone says to me, what are those shoes? I'm like the Indosols. And the first thing I say, Look, the sole is made from, you know, tires. And people go, oh, my God, that's so cool. So yeah. I think people are tuning in, man. It's rad. Yeah, thanks, man. That's a great story. That's that's awesome. I love that. Love that shop, by the way. Tell them I <laughs> said said thank you. And also it's a homage to uh, our team in Australia, Nick and Kiri and, and team. You know, they've done mm. a great job of, of really representing the brand really solidly in, in Australia. So big ups to them. Yeah, so your role in Indosol in Indonesia, I know that you handle a lot of the production side of things. Yeah. So, like, what is that on the for you? What does that entail? Like, I know that you do travel from Bali to to Java. Yeah. So, can you give us a bit of an insight into your role in terms of production? Yeah, I mean, basically, it's make the best product we can at a price that makes sense for our partners and deliver it on time right and make sure our product and but but really the main the the main part of the job is making sure that they're comfortable and durable and well made because if we don't have that like we won't have a brand we won't have a product to sell like people will not buy slash wear indosol right so that's in constant development for me and that's what the the main challenge is like you know, managing time and managing money and managing um, production schedules is like, it's fairly easy because like once you do it after a while, it becomes a system. And once the system's in place, you know, you, you kind of, um, you have a system and you follow it, but it's the minute that things go wrong. That's when the the job gets challenging. And, you know, recently we had, we had a, um, a couple issues with um, maybe the sole coming unglued and, um, that was like, and we we figured out the issue, you know, and we solved it. Uh, we had an issue where the slide was cutting into the top of a foot or the side of the foot. And now we've solved that issue for this next production. Um, so it's problem solving, you know, sort of trial and error sometimes, but, um, problem solving, um, and then continuing. And then, um, the other side of what I do is, uh, our B Corp certified and, and our carbon. So our sustainability management basically, and it's making sure that we continue to push our level of sustainability in all our materials. So recently we've, we've been able to find, um, 
a replacement for EVA foam, which is an algae-based foam. So moving forward, and I'm not sure 100% on the percentages, but it's somewhere between 15 and 20% of our footbed will now be algae, which is a really interesting – yeah, it's, it's, it's a new material out there. Um, and – so and then and then finding suppliers that will use recycled materials that they can guarantee recycled materials and certify them as recycled materials. So there's a lot that goes into sustainability now that that people are catching on to and it's certifications. And people are really asking and coming hip to your certifications and um so I'm in the process of getting all of our materials and all of our uh, production certified. Um which will have our stamps of approval. You know, right now we're B Corp certified. Um, in the last uh, six months, we've gone through the B Corp recertification, and that's become harder. So that's taken up a lot of time and energy. Almost through with that, and that also involves other certifications, so certification of materials, um, certifications of fair pay, um, and and to add on to that, we've got, been going through our carbon footprint and figuring out what our carbon footprint is as a company. And there's three different scopes to carbon footprint. And currently, uh, if you say your carbon footprint, you're, you're only obligated to say your scopes one and two and scope three is much more in depth. And, and they're thinking that that's probably three years away from people having to say, if, if to declare their carbon footprint as scope three, but we're going ahead with scope three right now. And it's actually really, really challenging. I didn't realize it was going to be so challenging, um, to find our carbon footprint and we're still a small company. So, um, you know, the resources aren't, you know, we don't have a team that we can dedicate it to our carb, just figure out our carbon footprint and, and, or pay somebody to, to figure out our carbon footprint. So that's been a real challenge, but it's also been really beautiful for me to, to learn. So, um, I've been going through, that's, you know, part of my job that a lot of people don't realize, um, is going through all these certifications and understanding what, uh, what sustainable production and responsible production actually mean. And that's actually what I, one thing I love about our company and our brand is that when we say we're going to do it, we're actually mean it. And it's not just greenwashing. You can actually believe us that we are developing further. We, we are, um, pursuing these certifications we can get these stamps of approval um and we're going to push one level further and get our scope three carbon footprint and I, you know i really hope that will be done by the end of this year um so we can tell you what the carbon footprint is and realize and be truthful and honest that our carbon footprint is going to be negative like there's not going to be a it's very difficult to, to find a positive footprint you know par- carbon footprint company out there so then we buy carbon credits and the understanding of the carbon credit industry is super interesting because there are businesses out there that exist on selling carbon c- credits to people that are carbon negative and need to buy carbon credits. And can, so sorry, yeah. sorry to jump in there for those that are unaware of that process. Yeah. Can you explain it? Like buying carbon credits? How does that yeah. work? Like for example, like a solar farm uh, company, could be a company that is carbon uh, positive or a company that purely plants trees or farming. Um, They'll, they'll be carbon positive. So they create more carbon, um, more carbon offsets than they produce. Right. So they take in more carbon by calculation and um, than they produce someone, someone in the, 
like for example, Indosol, we will not be carbon positive. We will be carbon negative because even though we're recycling, it will take energy to recycle. And, and that's all part of this challenge. And we can go into how recycling can be uh, more carbon neutral in the, in the future. But for now, it's carbon negative because we're still using energy. We, we're sending products by boat, by plane to other countries, right? That's all carbon negative activity. Um, so we need to purchase carbon credits to offset our carbon negative balance and become carbon neutral. And as we as a company are going to want to go push one further and become carbon positive, right? So we're going to have to purchase carbon credits from places, from companies that sell them. And, gotcha. and that's actually a really beautiful thing because that incentivizes people to become carbon positive so they can sell their carbon credits they themselves will then become carbon neutral, right? And then we will become carbon neutral. So, you know, I'm encouraging some of these smaller companies trying to do really amazing things like Sung iWatch. And this is going to be a process. It's going to be a challenge for them to overcome in the next year or two. Because if they're able to be carbon credit, uh, if they're able to sell carbon credits, they can potentially sell their, uh, fund their business and, you know, save more rivers or i mean say uh uh take more trash out of rivers so, so fundamentally when you're carbon when you're carbon positive you're putting back into the grid effectively yeah effectively that, that you're, could be one, that could be an example of of it. you're taking carbon yeah. out of the air you're potentially storing it into the ground and so this is where science becomes a little bit more technical um of what uh a carbon uh what ca- what carbon positive really is and there's different ways of, of looking at what carbon credit of being carbon positive really is. And one of the ways is putting it back into the ground. So soil regeneration is a way to become more carbon uh, positive. Um, so Amazing. we're trying to take that CO2 out of the atmosphere and put it back into, into nature, right? So trees Amazing. are another way, right? Um, that's why, um, you know, a lot of algae right? A lot of algae farmers are, you know, there's so much carbon being stored in, in algae and kelp and, and plankton, right? So, uh, ocean regeneration is a, is a, is a great example of, um, becoming carbon, uh, restoring carbon into the world. So these companies can then sell their carbon credits to companies like Indosol that wants to participate in this and, and help fund these companies grow. So it's kind of sort of an alternate uh, source to a nonprofit. You're, you're, Amazing. A for, you're for profit, but the product that you're selling is the carbon credit. Amazing. That will, that will then help you fund do, the, the algae growth, the soil regenerative growth, the taking trash out of the, out of the rivers. Um, so it's a whole new industry. That's like really exciting. That's, that's about, that's about, that's growing. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's incentivizing other businesses to do the same. Like, and that's the beautiful thing about it because right. often I, I listen to your story and the Indosol story and I, and I see that um, just the sheer blood, sweat and tears that you guys have put into it and had to go through over the years um, to, to develop the product, you know, um, with sustainability at your core. There must have been a lot of times when you're like, oh my God, it's not worth it you know, like the effort, the time, and the loss of possible profits over the years as well. So 
does this give you a lot more sort of motivation and inspiration to keep going down that path and then inspire other businesses to do the same? Yeah, I think it really does because it's still like, I think if you stop learning things, like that's also like a detriment to, you know, wanting to continue things. So like for me, like learning all about the, you know, these certifications, um, how to actually produce responsibly, sustainably, and uh, with fair wages and um, and developing people as well, right? So, um, and then going into this carbon footprint um, has been a real awakening for me and understanding that whole business in the way of the future um, because it's a really important adaptation that businesses will start to take. It's sort of this next level of sustainability is these certifications, this carbon footprint, proving that you're that you've gone through the lengths of um uh, of going through the process of saying it's one thing to say you're sustainable but then having the backup to prove it is sort of the next level of of this trend if you want to say that it's a trend Mm -hmm. and um because it's really it's developing a baseline and um and basically taking away the advent of greenwashing right so amazing but it's, it's, it's I, more than that. It's, it's actually just doing business the right way is really what it is, you know? And that's, and I think that, that level of growth, it's becoming a baseline in business. I think people are demanding it, um, that, you know, they want to know where their products come from, what they're producing. And I think that, that will, or that desire is growing amongst the population. I think that bell curve is really starting to rise. Do you think the pandemic has diverted consumers away from that desire? Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at the plastic use in the pandemic, right. I mean, that's, it's hard to, it's hard. It's, you know, it's, we took a real step back there. Right. Um, but I think it's also an opportunity to come out of the pandemic in a better way. I think a lot of people have been thinking, researching, you know, noticing that the amount of plastic use that they've been, you know, utilizing in the pandemic, the amount of masks that you see on beach cleanups now, um, you know, the amount of, the amount of mass is, is, in the world, oh, is, you know, and, and those are all, that's a lot of plastic or you know, whatever that material is, waste. You know, but it's a form yeah. of plastic waste. It's a, you know? it's a form of plastic waste. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so I think a, there's been a level of, you know, sort of awareness for sure. But at the same time, you can't blame people. Like, like we always say, right? Like a happy, healthy human is the, biggest environmentalist you'll meet right you, you can't be an environmentalist until you're healthy number one with nutrition and happy as a person until you know and then you can start thinking about ways to help other people and doing good for the planet and people and the environment right dude you said that last time and i love it i really thought about it it, it has to start with the individual and the decisions they make on a day-to-day basis Right. And you know, you're not going to get that until you have nu- nutrition, you know, nutrition as a baseline and then happiness, which is like learning, feeling loved, feeling adequate, having a purpose. Right. As you know, and I, and I think that's like a baseline for, for sustainability and environmentalism. Are you doing business with purpose or with finances in mind? I think both. And I think they're both potentially equal because, um, the, without finances, you're not going to achieve your purpose. Yeah. 
that's the world yeah, we like, live in. Yeah. But does it does it give you that that purpose that you're living with and working with? Is it giving you that sense of fulfillment on a personal level? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, for the I, most part, you know, personally, I wouldn't probably do something unless I had personal fulfillment in it, regardless of of the money. You know, I think. But that's me personally. I don't. I don't hold back anybody who does just do something for money because I personally am lucky. I don't have a family right now. I don't have anybody depending on me. My story would be could be completely different if I did, and that's why you know I, I am doing what I'm doing because I have the ability to do it. You know, I'm not. Mm. You know, I, I have some sacrifices that I can make because I just it's only for me. You know, my parents are luckily, you know, okay. You know, they have their finances in place and they're, they're able to, uh, exist without me, you know? So I'm, I, yeah. I'm only talking for me. I can't talk for other people. And I, I fully understand. That's why I think I'm in a special position. I'm a special place. And I think, you know, I do have a purpose because I have the ability to live this way or push this way because, um, I am only, you know, basically providing for one right now. Mm. But on another note, like what a legacy you're part of and a legacy you're creating along the way you know it's something that you'll you'll have uh you'll be leaving in the world one day like you know um or even if it like it'll be something that's tangible and memorable that you actually you live this life and you tried to do something like you tried to yeah you tried to do something and create something that's that you're part of and 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 is part of you as well well, I appreciate that, and I and I I think maybe maybe I could see it that way, but I I have like so much more to do that I'm not even like going there yet. Like, okay. there's, so, there's so much left to be done. Like, I have so much in my head that like still want to do. Like that that oh, to, that will create this story full circle, and potentially that could be true. Like, there's a lot okay. more to push for. And there's a lot more to do, and I and we have some, I have some ideas on how to get it done. So, I mean, that's what I'm, my next phase is. I don't want to talk too much about my next phase because I don't want to jinx it. But like, okay, maybe maybe one excited? day I'll talk. Yeah, super excited, dude! Super I can't excited. wait to hear it. Listen, man, it's been so epic. Like, I can't. I just looked at the time. I was like, that was the quickest hour of my life. But um, I ask all like I ask all guests, as you know, to come with a cause that they want to support or advocate for. I mean, I think Indosol itself is a cause in its own way, but is there any other ones or causes or social enterprises that you'd like to support or advocate for today? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two really, and one's more like a, a movement and like a a real educational piece, and and they and they need help, but um, they also uh, need physical help, which is cleaning the rivers in Bali, and that's Sungai Watch. And I just implore yeah. people to really check them out and look what they're doing because they've, they've, they've put barriers, trash barriers on a hundred rivers in Bali so far this year. In one year, they put a hundred barriers in Bali. They've they're every day they're, they're pulling out a thousand kilograms of trash. So that's one ton of trash every day out of the rivers of Bali. Then they're separating it. Right. And then they're, they're processing this waste. Right. So they are, they have developed, uh, this new way of, of doing business. Um, they have a nonprofit arm, um, that you can definitely donate to and it's Sungai watch. Um, they also are now developing a, a business arm, which they can make products out of this trash. So please reach out to them. 
for any sort of insight, questions. Um, and if you want to start working with them by utilizing the materials that they're taking from the river, Indosol is now, uh, there's about 8% of the trash that they get from the rivers, which is sandals. We're taking those wow. sandals and, we're, and we'll be doing a, a, a product with them. And so keep your eyes out on that. We're still in development phases, but we'll be buying those, that 80 kilos per day from them for a price that we'll set. Um, so wow. they'll be coming into a business. Wow. Um, yeah. So Sungai Watch is amazing. Um, uh, you know, like, sorry to talk about my, te- I, I did a Ted talk like four or five years ago, four years ago. I, I talked yeah, about I this, this thing called the secondary resource market, modern yes. day mining, um, the, um, modern day and the reindustrial revolution. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're modern day mining creating this secondary resource market indosol is now buying their secondary resource that will produce into a new product so it's come full circle and i'm just so proud and like gary sam kelly and team are just amazing individuals pushing forward and their next their next phase now is to do 1000 rivers in indonesia and they're moving into java and they've got their first um bupati in banyuwangi in java you know, ready to start producing, you know, ready to start doing this in Java as well. So it's growing. So they're going to go from a hundred rivers to a thousand rivers in Indonesia. So the amount of trash that they're going to, going to stop from going into the ocean is right now it's a thousand kilograms a day. So that's one ton a day. So, and that's a hundred rivers. So you multiply that by, by 10, that's going to be 10 tons a day. Right. And so, um, do that on a yearly basis. I mean, it's huge. So, so I watch is one. And the second is punk pangan. Um, and it's P U N K. So punk, like punk rock. And then it's P A N G A N. And they're a local crew out of Denpasar. They're punks. They play punk music. Um, they, <laughs> they were doing it in the markets, but they're just good people. And basically they are feeding people that need it. And right now they have a circulation of a hundred people that they're feeding in Denpasar and what mm. they've created, go to their Instagram at punk Pangan. I think there's, there might be an underscore after punk. Um, Sorry, can you just spill that for me again? Yeah. It's punk, P-U-N-K. Yeah. I think it's underscore yeah. Pangan, P-A-N-G-A-N. And, yeah. um, and yeah. that, and, and there, there's a, there's a form on their Instagram uh, there's a link to a form that you can fill out for people that are hungry because sometimes people are too proud to say they're hungry or whatnot. Or if you're, if you want to just say, Hey, I'm hungry. I need help, um, getting food. Um, you can fill out the form and Pong Pongang will process it and then deliver food to you. And so it's a great initiative. Uh, it's something that they're, they need, they have more and more people signing up for this. So they're going to, they're needing more money and, and people, and you can contribute, local people can tr- contribute tempeh, they can contribute rice, they can tr- contribute vegetables to this uh, mass um, collaborative effort. And then every week they give out this food to people. And it lasts mm. for about three days, so it's not the full week of food, but it, it really is helping people in need. And um, oh, our, our shop, um, in, you know, Corporate Attire, 10% of all sales go to help feeding people. So, um, every month we're contributing to punk punk on, but it's still, it's, it's, you know, and that's the sort of the situation here in Bali is where people do need help 
with food. And so that's, that's, a, that's one that I really uh, trust. And, and I've met Geelong and I, I went over there and, and, you know, saw their operation and, and, you know, they, they give food to people that, that need it. So, um, so Pung Pung An is, is helping feed, feed hungry people in Bali. So. Amazing, bro. Um, I'll put a link. I'll put a link to those in this episode's show notes. So if you scroll down to the bottom of this episode on whatever platform you're listening on, you'll find links to Sungai Watch and Punk Pung Yan. Yeah, Punk Pung Yan. Um, and you know, go to go check out their websites. See how you can be involved. See how you can donate. You know, and I also think like, you know, if you could be hands on, like if you're in Bali and, and you can go and help Gary and the team, I'm sure they would use your help, wouldn't they? Is that right? Oh yeah, for sure. hundred yeah. percent. Plus it's just cool to go see it and experience it and understand it. And then you go to their processing center af- afterwards and you're just amazed. They're, they're cleaning the trash, they're processing it. You know, they're, they're really doing the secondary resource market. And so they're creating the resource and then I guess like. They want I mean, to sell how- it. But who sit. wants to buy it? I guess now they're like going to find like people Indosol, who actually want to Indo, buy it. Yeah, like Indosol is buying all the foam, right? We're going to buy all the all the sandals, right? So, gotcha. so we're going to make new sandals out of their the foam that they're getting from rivers, right? Yeah. And so you need people that are going to purchase the metal, purchase the plastics. But what they're finding, the challenge that they're finding is that the cost of processing this is quite high. So it's it's early days. It's early days. It's super interesting. It's something to really keep a watch on and understand this new way of of basically private waste management. Mm. So I watched that. So what? It's a journey, obviously. Like you yeah, got to start somewhere. Yeah, and, yeah exactly. like, and like like you like like you're on the journey as well. It's this constant process of refining, refining, right. and working it out. And I love all that, man. I just love that they're doing that. So you know, get on and check it out. And it's so intriguing. Um, I actually want to get Gary. Uh, it's Gary Benchnib is the founder yeah. of that. Correct. Yep. Yeah. I want to get him on the show and, and have a chat yeah. because I've seen a lot of images of you, you know, volunteering with them. And I've seen images of you, like, I think you want to stand up paddleboard in a river full of yeah, yeah. waste, you know, like fishing, yeah. fishing out all sorts of debris, you know, just, can you describe what it, after a day's work, after doing a day's work in that environment and yeah. how do you feel at the end? Tell everyone how you feel at the end of the day when you do something like that. Well, I mean, it's, it's, first of all, it's tough work and it's dirty work, right? So it's like, it's yeah. not like, it's not like a, a glamorous, you're not doing a glamorous thing here, right? It's no like, we're going to help the world and save the world. No, it's like you're getting down and dirty and like getting in there and you might find like something that you're not like super pumped on picking up out of the river. Right. But like it's what it is, is like, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, you're like, wow, that is wild. Like we are really polluting a lot. Um, I just did a small part, but what I really did was I educated myself on what is going on. You know what I mean? On the ground and level. On the ground level and contributing to a team that really deserves all of our respect and all of our uh, acknowledgement, right? I think that's like the, the what I really feel after is like, hey, guys, I see you. I respect you. You know, they're, they've got a team of like 50 different – 50 workers now that are out there cleaning rivers every day, right? So you do it once. You're like, wow, that was heavy. They're doing it every day right and cleaning, it's like cleaning rivers or farming or mining 
Yeah. Not farming resources. Exactly. Farming they're, resources or mining for resources. Mining. They're miners. And I think like that's a beautiful like in that's my amazing. opinion, it's a beautiful way of looking at them, right? They're not picking up waste, they're mining, right? Um and so you know, like it's it's amazing, man. My hat's off to them. Uh, you know, and it's so it's so at the end of the day you're going, hey, you know, wow, I just did that. I achieved that, that was tough but um, definitely manageable. Like it's just about getting, it's just about getting over it and, and, you know, and like Mm -hmm. having a camaraderie and not taking it too seriously and like not taking it too much to heart and, and, and having sort of a, a a united front, you know, and, and saying like, all respect to you guys, man. Like, wow. I love that change in the narrative. Like I'm not picking up trash. I'm, I'm mining. Yeah, I'm a miner. It's, it's funny when you think of it like that, yeah, eh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, trash to treasure, man. It's so true. Yeah. So, yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. And like I said, there's links to that in this episode's show notes. So scroll down, click on the link, go and check it out. And um, you can find this episode on a variety of platforms other than the one you're listening to right now, uh, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Buzzsprout, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, um, I know, Overcast, CastBox. There's a few platforms now. So whatever platform you like to listen on, please hit the subscribe button. Um, And it just helps me to continue speaking to legends every week, such as Mr. Kai Paul. Thanks, Shane. So thank you. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah, by the way, you can also listen directly on the website as well, terriblehappytalks.com. Just had the website completely rebuilt. Um, you know, it's got the full back catalogue of 124 episodes. So you can go through and, you know, see see some people you might like. And uh, there's other episodes of Kai Paul's in there that he's been on twice and we talk about similar things. Also, you can check out Kyle Parsons' episode. He's also a founder, uh, the founder of Indosol as well. And, um, and, and a bunch of other sustainability advocates and activists. So go and check it out. And I think that's it, brother. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. And I just want to tell everybody out there that Bali is an amazing place right now. Get, get back over here as soon as you can. I mean, you're going to love it. And get here early because it's probably never going to be as chill and beautiful as it is right now. So, um, and we all, we all welcome you guys back because um, we need you. Yes, man. That's yeah. such a nice thing to say. You know, just before I left Bali, it was when the first lockdown happened and the world – it had this real apocalyptic feel to the world. Do you remember that? And Yeah. You know, 2020. And I'll never forget it. Like, you know, I surfed Uluwatu. It was the day before Nyepi and yeah. there was me and like a perfect head-high day. And there was yeah. me and three other three other people in the water on the whole yeah. on the whole reef, and it was just such a surreal moment. I was like, I'll never see Uluwatu this empty ever again, really, you yeah. know. Um, and I'll yeah, I can't imagine how how different it is there now since then. So can't wait to get back myself. Yeah, for sure. Welcome you back oh, with man. open arms. Yeah, thanks, Shan. Big respect to you and your podcast, man. I love it. So keep, keep on pushing.
Hey, so before we kick off the podcast, I just want to talk about getting your morning kick in Belmont Coffee. Belmont is owned by skaters, barbers, traders, and musicians. They came together with the idea of creating a co-pilot that's next to you on the late night drives, early mornings on the job site, or a midday pick-me-up. Ethically sourced beans in a sustainable can and ready to go when you are. Use the code THT to score a discount at belmont.com. That's Belmont, B-E-L-L-M-O-T-T dot com. 